Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, also known as IMHIP. In this podcast, we focus on all things surrounding the Illinois Medicaid Managed Care Program. Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm the Sam and Sam Says, and today I'm so happy to welcome IMHIP Trusted Partner, HHA Exchange, to discuss the importance of effective data to drive better healthcare outcomes. Joining me is Caitlin Shepard, Senior Director of Government Health Plans at HHA Exchange, and also joining us is Andrew Siegel, CEO of Ensega Health Solutions. Caitlin and Andrew, welcome. Thanks, Sam. We're so happy to be joining you today. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. And I'm happy to have you guys, um, and and for our listeners who aren't familiar with HHA Exchange, my favorite trusted partner name, I mean, it's just always (laughs) fun to say, that's for sure. They're a home care technology company, and and they connect providers um, and work within the Medicaid space. Can you sort of talk, Caitlin and Andrew, about the work that you do and sort of just give everybody background on EVV and all the HHA exchanges? Sure. No, great intro. <laughs> I know that it's a mouthful. So um, you're absolutely right. HHA Exchange, for those who aren't familiar with us, um, we're a home care technology company. And really, we cover all areas of the home care ecosystem. So we work with providers, we work with state Medicaid programs, we work with MCOs, and we also work with caregivers that interact with our solutions down into the home. So we're really focused on breaking down barriers in care, enabling better efficiency, increase in communication, transparency, and, and really compliance throughout all of our solutions. So our mission is to provide better outcomes for the millions of individuals uh, receiving home and community-based services. I love that. And I'm I'm just so excited to dive into today's discussion and talk about EVV and EVV and managed care and sort of the intersection um, of all of that. But can sure. we just and I guess, so EVV, electronic visit verification, because us, you know, in the healthcare space, we just love our acronyms. Love Can it. you sort of talk about EVV and the data that it provides, if you will, and then, you know, just what does that mean from a healthcare yeah. outcome perspective? Yeah, no, it's it's a great question. So EVV was actually part of the 21st Century Cures Act, and that was signed back in 2016. And the purpose of kind of this portion of that act uh, was to drive compliance at the state level for Medicaid-funded in-home visits. So for services in the home covering home health and personal care, this was really critical because it, it provides documentation, you know, via the caregiver in the home. And then that becomes the basis for billing and it proves that a member actually received the care. Um, so by requiring the caregiver to clock in, clock out, on some sort of device in the home, whether it be a, mo- a mobile application or some other method you know, to do that, it really improves billing accuracy, it prevents fraud, and it fills the gaps for you know, providers, care coordinators, oversight organizations to access real-time data that was collected at the time the services were rendered. Um, so I know it's, that's a lot of information, um, but really there's six data elements that have to be captured within EVV to remain in compliance with the mandate. So uh, a couple of things here, it's the type of service, it's the date of service, the name, 
of the individual receiving the service, the location, and then that individual who's providing the service that can also give a begin and end time of the service. So as I mentioned earlier, those are usually obtained through an electronic means, uh, through a clock in and clock out feature. So, um, you know, a mobile application is a, is, is a go-to, you know, for, for a lot of agencies, but there are ways that, you know, that can be achieved via telephony, which means, you know, a caregiver can use a home phone of a patient, remember, to call in and, and kind of create that clock in and clock out. And there's also a couple other devices and just means to do that for situations where there might not be great cell service or, you know, someone might not have a cell phone. There's other means that, you know, we've really refined over the years um, to make sure there's an option for everyone. Um, and then to go back to your question about why, you know, why this is the first step in using that data, the Cures Act certainly brought the intent to the forefront to tackle fraud, you know, connected with these types of services and personal care and in-home care. Um, but the concept wasn't born out of the mandate, just to be clear. There were many stakeholders already using EBV within the industry. Um, and the reason for that was, you know, there were definitely those who recognized the importance of having more visibility into their members and their network. And not only from a compliance perspective, but also related to the impact that these really necessary services have on member outcomes. Um, so EBV, through the collection of that visit data, allows really those responsible for the delivery of those services to gain insights into their network and performance and, and ultimately the quality of their member care. Oh, thank you so much for that overview, Caitlin, because it is so much. And I love the way you sort of broke it down and the types of data that's there. And then just that reminder that we talk about EVV often from, you know, the, the requirement in Illinois here, we're finally, or we're rolling it out from a Medicaid perspective, although, sure. you know, it we already had the requirement um, on the aging waiver side. So we're sort of re-rolling it out, if you will. Um, but there, there's a lot. And you really break it down in the recognition that it's not new, and, but, yeah. it, and, but it's powerful. And there's so Absolutely. much data there. I'm just thinking, you know, obviously from a fraud perspective, that sort of was, I think, the original genesis, right? Of just making sure members are receiving Absolutely. services that they're supposed to receive and that they're happening. Mm -hmm. But my understanding is that since that, um, you know, th there's other information that can be actionable, you know, as sure. well. And so from an MCO or for an MCO, you know, what's some of that important data that they should care about with regards to EVV? Sure, and Sam, I, I can take this question. Um, every state has a different approach as to how the managed care organization needs to interact with the provider EVV data. So as you mentioned or alluded to, Illinois, uh, their model is an open model where the MCO can make their own choice as to how they want to manage visit data before they pay their claims. So it's crucial that each managed care organization has their arms around which providers are compliant with EVV and which providers are falling short. And oftentimes having certain technology and reporting in place is necessary to drill down into which providers in the network need to improve uh, processes, as Caitlin talked about, compliance, and really most importantly, quality of care. So I, I can share with confidence that 
this is a best practice for MCOs, especially those serving uh, LTSS members to dig into the visit data. There is a real and valuable need here. And that makes sense. And can you sort of just talk about what you see, you know, from a best practice, what is the best approach being used to drive better outcomes for most effectively for Medicaid members? Sure. No, that's a really great question. I mean, you know, each and every time we say a caregiver enters a home, there is a, an opportunity to gain valuable and real-time data. Now with everything we know about uh, social determinants of health, understanding what social service programs a member needs can make a huge difference to that member's overall health and their uh, quality outcomes. So, you know, the thinking is why not take advantage of the proximity of the caregiver to the member within their home and maximize this time to gather social determinants of health-related observations that could ultimately end up in initiating some sort of referral, timely referral for help before something like food insecurity or housing insecurity starts to make an impact on someone's health uh, or has already taken a toll. So again, placing the focus and the importance on the member's overall health should provide support and the incentive for adopting social determinants of health uh, and member observation data, which undoubtedly can be a natural extension of electronic visit verification. Yeah, yeah, just to add to that, I mean, we recently conducted a survey of more than 1,400 caregivers, and 80% of those caregivers stated that making a positive impact on their patient's health and well-being is what motivates them the most about their work. So especially since the pandemic, I mean, caregivers have had to quickly adapt to evolving needs and demands from the industry and their clients. So they remain inspired by their roles, and they, they're seeking daily to improve the lives of their clients. So it's important for the entire industry to really come together and, and provide home care agencies and their staff with the tools and resources required to, again, improve that member care and reduce caregiver burnout and ultimately fulfill value-based care requirements that we see really all across the country. And then that same survey also showed that having access to innovative technology, like I mentioned earlier, those mobile applications that might record member observations is another important aspect for caregivers because it relates to, again, delivering better outcomes. So about 67% in that survey that I referenced again um, of caregivers said that, you know, knowing it could ultimately improve their client's care, they would spend an extra three to five minutes during their visit recording to, you know, add those observations into an application. So we're, we're seeing more and more of that, that not only sort of is EVV in place, but there really is now kind of an EVV 2.0 that allows a caregiver on the front line in the home to answer additional questions about their member to then, again, drive those outcomes because that data can be fed to a care management team of some sort, whether it be at the health plan level or the provider level, um, to make that, those sort of data uh, pieces actionable. Oh, I love that. I love that you've done studies to sort of demonstrate, you know, to sort of research that and track all of it. And what I really love is, of course, the idea of using um, EVV, you know, to, and this technology to collect social determinants of health. It's, it makes so much sense. These folks, these caregivers are in their home, you know, in, in these members' homes on a regular basis. They, they see all of this right. stuff. Um way more often than even their care coordinators do. But mm -hmm. what I also love that that study highlighted, Caitlin, 
was that caregivers find great value in being able to help the folks that they are caring for. And then it's empowering. Right. And I just don't know that we always think of it that way. Like sometimes I think of EVV of like, how can it help the health plan? And of course it helps Mm -hmm. the member by making sure that, um, you know, that they're getting the care they need, but there's another component where, like you said, it empowers the caregiver. It makes them feel as though they can make a difference or um, sure. found upon the difference they can make. I think that's so critical. Yeah, it really makes them part of the care team. Absolutely. And Andrew, you have a really unique perspective of this. You're a former executive and a, you know, from New York who oversaw LTSS and managed care. You know, what advice do you give key stakeholders in Illinois as they sort of roll out this program and lessons learned? And, you know, I don't want to leave anything on the table. I want, I don't want this to just be sort of checking the box because we have to do it, but how do we make this really impactful? Yeah, no, that is a great question. I think one of the uh, the great things about looking at best practices across all states is that you can really draw some some really valid conclusions. And I I think no state necessarily has uh, any one answer, but it's important for managed care organizations, I think uh, in their entirety, entirety to always be thinking about how they can maintain an adequate and compliant network for all EVV applicable services. They have a real role here with the end goal of mitigating fraud, waste and abuse. And that really gets back to the 21st Century Cures Act, which Caitlin spoke about earlier. And the best way for them to do this as a plan is to fully engage their provider relations teams and to really look internally at their C-suites, their compliance officers, their care managers, and to actively monitor network performance through EVV data aggregation. But that's not all, right? There's, There's also an opportunity to use EVV data to increase plan of care compliance. And that gets to some of the quality of care you referenced for the member earlier, Sam, and to ensure that the services delivered match the service authorizations before processing the claim. So ultimately, by having visibility into their visit data, health plans are empowered to drive improved member outcomes and avoid being subjected to sanctions and other monetary penalties imposed by the state oversight agencies. So, you know, you have the quality side and then you have the compliance side. And something else to keep in mind for the key stakeholders at LTSS MCOs is to think about what technology, what purpose-built technology can you use that's easy to use, that's flexible, what aligns with the technical specifications and coding systems in your respective states, like Illinois, and what can integrate with your state MMIS vendors, those are the Medicaid management information systems. So depending on the EVV model in your state, there might be some providers in your network that are using different EVV solutions. So you also want to ensure that the solutions you choose are also interoperable and allow for robust data exchange. And lastly, I would say that uh, you know managed care organizations need to play an active role in analyzing and drilling down into their EVV data. So this means implementing reporting metrics and dashboards uh, with their quality and their care teams and really routinely engaging their provider networks through business intelligence and reporting tools. I think that's so critical. Um, and you know, internally, a managed care organization should be developing strategies to identify those providers who are non-compliant. So what does that mean? Um, you know, those who are using manual edits or, or who have frequent missed visits or late visits or short visits, uh, managed care organizations should be really looking closely at that data to help them inform how they manage their networks. 
Oh, I love that. Like, you know, obviously if you have the data, but you're not using it or you're not looking at it or you're not drilling down into it, then you're just sort of wasting it. Right. And so how do you work it into your workflow? So it's meaningful. It's not overwhelming. It's easy to look at um, and assess. So you get the full impact of that data. Yeah. And actionable really that's key is making the data actionable for your organization and for members. Right. Oh, I love that. Now I'm not going to leave, you know, time with two wonderful healthcare experts (laughs) to not talk about sort of what you guys see, you know, coming in, especially home health. I feel like there's a lot going on in home health as our population ages. There's just a lot going on. Can you, you know, what trends are you seeing in this space? What are you keeping an eye out on besides EVV? Sure. Uh, Well, I mean, we're constantly evolving as technology is just in general, but I think with healthcare technology and specifically, you know, in-home healthcare technology, you have to evolve and, and really kind of revolutionize that landscape of the home care industry because it is and has changed so much, especially post pandemic. So, um, We're constantly, you know, improving the hospital at home concept and addressing gaps in care. Of course, telehealth has become huge. Um, Remote patient monitoring platforms, things like that, you know, biometrics monitoring that checks checks your pulse and, and breathing and other key data points. These are all pieces of technology that must work together to kind of ensure seamless communication and patient care. And that's just constantly changing and evolving. Um, and technology is, is really filling the gaps to ensure that treatment's not being sacrificed and that reliance on it will only continue. So using technology to streamline all aspects of the market and, and make lives easier um, is also the most attractive option for bringing in or retaining qualified staff. I mean, COVID accentuated the need and allowed us to use technology in a way now that there's no going back. So especially now with value-based payment transformation, emphasis on person-centered care, technology is really necessary to both inform and improve these items. Oh, I just want to underline that. It absolutely is. You know, we're not going backwards. We know there's, there's in every sort of space, whether it's Medicaid, it's Medicare, commercial, you know, value-based payments and transformation, you know, that's pushing us forward and we're just not going to do it alone, you know, without technology. We just can't. Um, And especially with workforce shortages, how can we be more efficient? How can we do more with less? And I think technology is going to be that, that answer. Um, And in some cases, obviously that human touch is still critical. Absolutely. Um, I think combining the two, you know, is, is really key and having those that are on the front line access technology. That's just, that's going to be tremendous as, as things evolve. Absolutely. And now, so that was sort of at the home health stage, you know, taking a step back, healthcare industry as a whole, and we, you know, we already talked a little bit about value-based care, and I think that's probably part of it. But are there things that you're sort of thinking of that are going to move the healthcare industry forward? You know, whether it's regulations or payment structure, or maybe, maybe more technology. Um, you know, what do you think are some other things that could have a really big impact as, as we think about improving quality and serving an aging population? Uh, I can take that question. I mean, I think to Caitlin's point, one of the things that has already really moved us forward and that is uh, currently having a big impact on the industry in a more permanent sense 
is where we find ourselves today on the other side of a pandemic, Sam. I think in the wake of COVID-19, the American Rescue Plan Act and the federal government provided funding, which represented an opportunity for states to expand and enhance home and community-based services for people with Medicaid. So in a big way, the pandemic exposed the gaps, the current gaps in our system, and really underscored the urgent need to expand access to high-quality home and community-based services and to improve value-based outcomes. And we saw that with the disparities we saw in service provisions during the pandemic. And ARPA dollars presented an opportunity for states and localities to draw down federal dollars because of COVID. And, um, you know, those dollars did come with strings attached in that your state had to have certain mechanisms in place to distribute the funds to HCBS stakeholders. So states were required to submit spending plans to the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services for review. And they're using these one-time funds for technology-based innovation. So in a real way, um, that's to Caitlin's point earlier, it's, COVID has accelerated technology. So states are using the funds to support, uh, for example, data infrastructure building opportunities to address longstanding technological challenges associated with improving service delivery for complex populations. And as key stakeholders, you know, managed care organizations are thinking strategically now too about how to best support state, the state, their state efforts using these ARPA funds in a way that improves member outcomes through data infrastructure strategies and technology investments. So some, some plans are making their own uh, personal investments in technology, which is a great thing. And simultaneously to ARPA, I think uh, states have also been grappling with reaching full compliance with the requirements of the home and community-based service final rules. So all states were required to submit setting transition plans to CMS. And those plans stated how their state would reach full compliance with the HCBS settings rule uh, deadline of March 17, 2023. So that was, that was just a few weeks ago. And to identify milestones for compliance. So many of the compliance measures in the final rule are provisions which require managed care organizations to ensure uh, person-centered service planning guidelines are met. Yeah. Yeah. And just to add, I mean, person-centered planning is, is just a, a process that honors the needs and preferences of the individual receiving Medicaid-supported HCBS services. So it's, it's in combination with family, friends, and other team members. So it actually ensures the development of a plan of care that provides the covered services an individual needs in a, in a manner and setting they prefer. So um, the expectations set forth in the final rule emphasize that individuals are most knowledgeable about this, their services and needs um, and the optimal manner in which services are delivered. So uh, that rule is really critical to CMS's broader efforts to expand availability and improve the quality of Medicaid-funded home and community-based services. Um, so there's going to be ongoing evaluation, monitoring, and remediation in every state for continued compliance and quality improvement. And CMS has encouraged the adoption and use of these HCBS measure set into reporting requirements for HCBS programs authorized under federal authorities. So I think the prevalence of value-based care will continue to have profound impacts on today's home care marketplace. And you know, rather than reimbursing providers based on the quantity of services delivered, value-based care pays providers based on the quality of care they give patients, you know, which is just is, is so different. And just, you know, caregivers are in a position to improve that quality of care when they can observe and note 
and report changes in condition and other potential health risks back to their agencies. Kind of going back to what I said earlier about, you know, the EVV 2.0, taking it to the next level of not just checking the mark of I'm here and I, did, I completed this service, but here's, here's more information in order to drive better outcomes. I mean, the, the challenge is making sure that the data is faithfully recorded in accurate and timely fashion and then shared with the appropriate parties. So more and more payers are really leaning into the value-based purchasing model and the technology that makes it possible. Um, and that creates better communication, better coordination, and it makes more information, avail information available. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. And, and really that leaning in, making it a, that improved data available, you know, that EVV 2.0, um, you know, really leaving nothing on the table and, and empowering our caregivers um, to provide more value. I mean, I, I think that if there's one group of healthcare providers that are really well poised for value-based care, it is our home um, caregivers because they are caring for a very vulnerable population where small changes can have dire impact in their outcomes and their health. And I mean, you know, forgetting to take medications or, you know, sort of certain things can really lead to hospitalization and at times nursing home stays. Um, and really moving um, into that, you know, institutionalization setting. And so empowering caregivers is, is critical. And I think that's exactly what you guys are doing. And that's what EVV does. So I just want to thank you for joining. Um, and again, for HHA Exchange, for not only being a trusted partner for years of I'm Hit, but also for being um, our our sponsor of our conference in September. We are just so grateful for our continued partnership with you. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having us. We really enjoyed being here. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And to our listeners, to learn more about I'm Hip, to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one, and to learn more about becoming a trusted partner like HHA Exchange, we encourage you to visit our website, imhip.org. And of course, don't forget to like and follow us and HHA Exchange on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the Sam and Sam Says. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, be well and stay safe.